This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the health department reports 120 more fatalities, 7,650 new cases of COVID-19. The total number of cases in Florida is just over 510,000. The battle over reopening schools is moving to Tallahassee. The Florida Education Association is suing the governor and the state education commissioner over their emergency order forcing schools to reopen by the end of August. The confusing emergency order, the inconsistent emergency order, the emergency order that isn't based on science and doesn't even profess to follow its own criteria. Let me tell your honor what the executive order does not do. It does not require any particular teacher, student, parent, staff, to be physically present at any school. The lawsuit was filed in Miami, the epicenter of Florida's COVID outbreak. But the judge says it belongs in Tallahassee. So the lawsuit has been delayed, but will continue. People will be watching us. The world will be watching. And we are simply telling our governor that this lack of leadership, you can be reckless with bars, you can be reckless with beaches, you can be reckless with restaurants, but you can't be reckless with our public schools. While his attorneys were in court defending the reopening plan, Governor Ron DeSantis was on a basketball court in Jacksonville, encouraging the return of high school athletics. I just as governor want to say, you know, I'm standing with our coaches and our athletes. Uh, we need to have them back. I know that they're planning on starting the football season uh, here in a couple weeks, and, uh, and I look forward to doing that. The state sales tax holiday for back-to-school shopping began at midnight. It lasts through the weekend. On the Sunrise interview, you'll hear from Scott Shalley with the Florida Retail Federation. Well, the holiday itself covers clothing, footwear, and backpacks, that, that individual items at $60 or less. And it actually includes masks, just to give you an idea of the world that we're living in today. So that, that those are included as well. We'll also have your calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man arrested with a beer in one hand, a loaded Smith & Wesson 38 in the other. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, August 7th. The fight between the governor and the teachers union is moving to Tallahassee. The Florida Education Association is challenging the emergency order forcing schools to reopen by the end of the month, and the lawsuit was filed in Miami-Dade, the heart of the outbreak in Florida. FEA attorney Kendall Coffey says the order itself is unconstitutional. The emergency order, the confusing emergency order, the inconsistent emergency order, the emergency order that isn't based on science and doesn't even profess to follow its own criteria, the emergency order that does a flat-out contradiction from the very same Department of Education that announced criteria for reopening in late May. The July order ignores all of that. We have attempted to get a very simple clarification, Judge, that I think could get us out of this courtroom within the hour. Can we clarify that the local school districts with the local evidence the local knowledge, the local perspective, whatever local input they can get, that they can make this decision about reopening free from financial penalty from the state. Not a lot to ask for. And in fact, in many of the DOE's commentaries, they suggest that they're kind of willing to do that. They will not agree to that, at least not in this court proceeding. What that means is that every school district has a huge sword hanging over its head, and that some of those school districts stumbling and trying to save teachers' jobs, keep, uh, keep from a, a funding disaster, are being pushed into bricks and mortar or opening long before it can possibly be safe. 
But the governor's lawyer, Angel Cortinas, says the emergency order doesn't force anyone to return to the classroom if they don't feel safe there. What the emergency order does is it recognizes that school openings must be consistent with safety precautions as defined by the Florida Department of Health, local health officials, and supportive of Floridians, young and adult, with underlying conditions that make them medically vulnerable. That is at, at the executive order on page one. It expressly makes school openings, quote, subject to advice and orders of the Department of Health, local departments of health. That's executive order at page two. It recognizes the day-to-day -day <laughs> decisions to open or close schools must always rest locally with a board or executive most closely associated with the school. That's at the executive order at pages two and three. The executive order encourages innovation and flexible approaches to remote learning. Let me tell your honor what the executive order does not do. It does not require any particular teacher, student, parent, staff to be physically present at any school. That decision is made exclusively by the school boards who are not parties to this case. It does not require any of the individual plaintiffs in this case or their children to be physically present in any school in Miami-Dade County or elsewhere at the beginning of the school year. It does not require any school district to submit a reopening plan. It does not direct any action against any person or entity in Miami-Dade County or anywhere in Florida. Under Florida law, the state has home court advantage. So when you sue the governor, the case is usually filed at the circuit court based in Tallahassee. Miami-Dade Judge Stephen Eig says that's where the teachers should have gone first, and he transferred the case up north. FEA President Frederick Ingram says it was disappointing, but the lawsuit continues. Our governor and our commissioner of education think that we can just open schools and all will be well. All will not be well. All will not be well, Mr. Corcoran. All will not be well, Mr. DeSantis. Your teachers, your educational support professionals, your children, the students of this state are depending on real leadership, a comprehensive, a strategic plan, a thought process that is led by compassion, by empathy, by science, by healthcare professionals, by simple reason to say, let's have a measured approach to opening our schools so that we can do this safely, so that one, we're not the laughing stock of the world. So two, that we don't kill people because this is a life or death situation. A student, yes, can be asymptomatic. Our children, yes, they, they tend to have a better propensity to, to, to carry this virus but their grandmothers don't. Their aunts who have diabetes and, and, and heart issues don't. Their siblings who may have asthma or juvenile diabetes, they don't have the same propensity. And so what we're asking is simple reason. We open our schools in 72 hours in the state of Florida, in many of our school districts. And throughout, this, uh, throughout the rest of this three weeks, people will be watching us, the world will be watching. And we are simply telling our governor that this lack of leadership, you can be reckless with bars, you can be reckless with beaches, you can be reckless with restaurants, but you can't be reckless with our public schools. This is a pandemic. This is a once in a 100 year issue that we're having. This is not business as usual. Don't tie yourself politically to the federal government because we have gotten no national leadership. We need statewide leadership so that we can protect people, so that people can be safe, so that they can go home and so that they can understand that somebody out there 
in politics, in government, cares about them. Ingram also says the union would have preferred mediation over a lawsuit, but the governor's people refused. It's amazing that the governor won't talk to his teachers. It's amazing that the governor won't talk to cafeteria workers and bus drivers, the most trusted people in our communities, the most educated people in our communities, the people who we trust our students, our, our most prized possession. The governor will not have a sit down at a table uh, and try to mediate this process, and we ask twice. I got to tell you, it is just uh, insulting that the state of Florida, uh, our governor, doesn't believe that he should recognize the people who we entrust our students to. Ingram says the governor's legal strategy is to do everything possible to delay the lawsuit and run out the clock until schools have been forced to reopen. While the teachers' union was arguing that it's not safe to fully reopen, the governor was holding a roundtable discussion to talk about how much he's looking forward to the resumption of high school athletics. The activities and the sports stopped for kids in, in middle school and high school when we went to distance learning. And those are moments that, that they're not going to be able to get back, particularly the seniors. Uh, so as we look to what's coming up on this school year, I think it's important, I think it's critical uh, that we have boys and girls sports available uh, for our students. And again, if a parent chooses to, to not have their kids play in any of these endeavors, that is totally fine and that's a parental choice. But I know a lot of parents really want to have the opportunity uh, to allow uh, their sons and daughters uh, to compete and play in Florida has been phenomenal in terms of uh, opportunities with athletics. I mean, we've obviously got great football, you know, we've got great girls soccer, volleyball, we're great in baseball, all these things. So many great people have come out of, of playing athletics in Florida. Whether that means you go to college because of it, whether that means you end up winning a Heisman Trophy or playing in the NFL, all those things are great, but even at a basic level, understanding discipline, understanding hard work, the mentorship that you get for coaches. And so uh, I just as governor want to say, you know, I'm standing with our coaches and our athletes. Uh, we need to have them back. I know that they're planning on starting the football season uh, here in a couple weeks, and, uh, and I look forward to doing that. After more than four months of restricting visitors from New York, the governor has just rescinded the quarantine requirement on people traveling to Florida from the tri-state area. Remember back in March, Florida became the very first state to issue travel restrictions on New York because it was the nation's COVID-19 hotspot back then. The order also included Connecticut and New Jersey. But Governor DeSantis issued new orders Thursday canceling the quarantine, which means they're shutting down the checkpoint on I-95 that intercepted travelers from the tri-states. However, we are the hotspot now, so Floridians who travel there are the ones who are now subject to a quarantine. More sniping between Governor DeSantis and Senator Rick Scott over Florida's failed unemployment compensation system. It began when DeSantis told Miami TV reporter Jim DeFeedy that the philosophy behind the Connect system was to discourage people from seeking unemployment benefits by putting pointless roadblocks in the system. Scott was governor when that happened. He did not appreciate those remarks, telling Fox Business News he fixed problems and leaders should stop blaming others. DeSantis was asked about the squabble Thursday. He stuck to his guns, saying the Connect system was all but useless and needed a complete overhaul. The fact of the matter is the state spent $77 million for a system that was not ready for prime time, and it's something that we've had to fix. I had to put a huge amount of effort into fixing that. Uh, we've now paid out uh, probably over $13 billion. Uh, 1.7, 1.8 million individuals have had claims, uh, but that was... Um, a, a big effort. We had to do huge amounts of personnel, all these different servers. And so the question is, if you're going to spend $77 million for something, you know, what are the results? And this obviously wasn't a good result for Florida taxpayers. So 
the IG is investigating everything that was uh, a part of that. Um, but I think that people understand uh, when you just have the economy stop, like that, that was tough on everybody's systems. But our system wasn't really that old. I mean, some of these systems are from the 70s. You know, this was one that was supposed to be more modern, and um, it was only able to handle, I think, 2,500 folks. Well, we had 100,000 people logging in. And so I think it's absolutely worth looking for. Look, my responsibility is to figure out a way to get it right. And so we, we moved uh, mountains to be able uh, to get people their money. I surged uh, uh, 2,000 state employees for other agencies. We brought in engineering know-how to basically reconfigure the system. I waived pretty much any rule that I could waive that was keeping um, people from being able to access the system or making them wait so that they wouldn't be able to get paid. So that was a huge, huge priority uh, for us. But I do think that we need to look at and see, okay, uh, why would you have paid the 77 because it's one thing if it was just on the cheap and you didn't expect it but that's an enormous amount of money uh, I think for for uh, for a system that um, clearly uh, was not built for the long haul the interesting thing about this dust-up between Scott and DeSantis is that they don't really attack each other by name only by insinuation it's no secret that both men are interested in running for president four years from now so don't expect relations to improve anytime soon the good news here is that unemployment claims in Florida continue to trend downward. Florida workers filed almost 74,000 new unemployment claims for the week ending August 1st. That was the third straight week the number had gone down. One other note on the subject of unemployment, the company that designed and built the Accursed Connect system has just landed a $135 million contract with the state. Deloitte Consulting beat out four other companies for a contract to manage Florida's Medicaid data for the Agency for Healthcare Administration. A three-day tax holiday for back-to-school shoppers is now underway. You can avoid paying sales taxes on clothing, school supplies, personal computers, and related accessories. But how smart is it to try to lure people back to stores with a tax break in the middle of a pandemic? Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we talk with Scott Shalley of the Florida Retail Federation, who says stores are doing everything they can to make it safe for you to shop during the crisis. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures. And N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the OPEN plan today at FHA.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is Scott Shalley, president of the Florida Retail Federation and a big fan of sales tax holidays. Critics claim these are gimmicks that have more to do with politics than sound economic policy. They also point out that the savings go to people who spend the most money, so people of modest means don't really save much at all. But Shalley says they're popular with the public, and retailers can really use the help this year as they try to rebound from coronavirus. Yeah, I think we're all kind of looking forward to the weekend. It's a uh... There's a little less excitement around back to school, but we're going back. And uh, uh, a lot of retailers are, are going to uh, really embrace the tax holiday and hope that shoppers will as well. And they're going to offer some extra incentives to get people out and prepare for school, whatever that looks like, whether it's virtual or in the classroom. Now, what kind of stuff are we talking about that you can get this tax holiday? 
Well, the holiday itself covers uh, clothing, footwear, and backpacks, that, that individual items at $60 or less. And it actually includes masks, just to give you an idea of the world that we're living in today. So that, that those are included as well. Uh, traditional school supplies at $15 or less. And then perhaps the, the biggest one for the year is the, thousand, the first $1,000 on the purchase of a personal computer or related accessories. And certainly with all the distance learning uh, that's going to take place that I think a lot of people are going to take advantage of that. In general, during a crisis, do you, you think we should be, you know, trying to lure people back into stores? Because that's, that's what the whole idea of the sales tax holiday is, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, it's mostly to, to, to shop and prepare for the school year, right? So there's, there, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, retailers have gone to great lengths and spent a lot of money to, to try to create the most uh, safe and comfortable shopping experience that they can. So if you're comfortable going into the store and, and, of course, the stores are all requiring masks and social distancing and whatnot, then do so. If you want curbside pickup, many retailers are offering that. And then, of course, there's always the online option. Rick, the only thing that we ask is that if you do shop online, uh, you know, try to shop with somebody who has a local presence who's here in Florida. Uh, jobs have been impacted significantly, and and uh, we want to support our neighbors. Uh, one in five jobs in the state of Florida is linked to, to retail. So um, there, there's certainly a safe option available for you, however you prefer to shop. Now, if you do order online for pickup in town or, or, or even shipment to your place, Will that still be tax-exempt, even if it would be taxed normally? Yes, it will be. Sales tax holidays, a lot of people have described these as gimmicks. What do you make of the whole situation? Oh, I, I, I understand that, and I get it. You know, we really see it as a as a win-win across the board. Um, people really take advantage of it. It's interesting talking to our retailers that, uh, um, you know, they can run a sale, a, a 10 15% off sale, and they don't get nearly the, the response that they do on the opportunity to save 6 to 8% on, uh, on your taxes. And I think it's just a function of people don't like taxes, right? Um, so it, at the end of the day, uh, it provides a, a nice break for the consumer, and the retailers definitely see a boost. And again, the retailers, uh, a lot of them add extra extra incentives uh, on top of the tax holiday. So, um, you know, gimmick or not, it, it, it seems to work, and uh, Floridians like it and embrace it. Bean counters at the Department of Revenue estimate the sales tax holiday will cost state and local governments about $42 million over the three-day period. Your calendar of events begins at 8 today with a conference call meeting of the Florida Board of Medicine. The Board of Nursing meets by conference call at 8.30. The Board of Chiropractic Medicine meets online at 8.30. The Revenue Estimating Conference talks about transportation revenues at 9.30. The Florida Historical Commission meets online at 9.30. The Office of Insurance Regulation holds online hearings at 10 about proposals by Southern Fidelity and Capital Preferred to raise property insurance rates for homeowners. At noon, the Tampa Tiger Bay Club will hold online forums for six primary candidates in three legislative districts in the Bay Area. And today is the deadline for candidates and political committees to file reports showing financial activity through the end of July. Finally today, a Florida man is arrested with a gun in one hand, a beer in the other. Hillsborough County deputies scrambled when they received several calls about a man waving a firearm and pointing the weapon at cars as they drove past. When they found 66-year-old Eric Felder, he was holding a loaded Smith & Wesson 38 and his beer. He's charged with possession of a firearm by a felon, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, use of a firearm while intoxicated, improper exhibition of a dangerous weapon, and resisting arrest. 
That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Thank you.